Saturday, May the 1st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Americans' income surge and Eurozone economy shrinks. First, the week in brief. Helped by a boost from COVID-19 stimulus checks, personal incomes in America climbed by 21.1% in March compared with the month before, a record single-month increase. Americans reacted by both flashing that cash and by saving. Consumer spending rose by 4.2% compared with the previous month, while the personal savings rate rose from 13.9% to 27.6%. Burdened by lockdowns and a sluggish vaccine rollout, the Eurozone entered a double-dip recession in the first three months of this year. Germany's economy fared particularly badly, with GDP contracting by 1.7% quarter-on-quarter. Spain's and Italy's also shrank, though France's grew slightly. Output for the bloc shrank by 0.6% overall, following a decline of 0.7% in the final three months of 2020. After investigating a complaint made by Spotify two years ago, the European Union charged Apple with breaching antitrust laws. The streaming service claimed Apple was distorting competition by refusing to make apps available through its app store unless developers agreed to stringent terms and high fees. If Apple is found guilty, it could be fined up to 10% of its global profits. Britain's Financial Conduct Authority proposed loosening the rules for listing special purpose acquisition companies, a contentious species of shell company. The regulator wants to allow London's stock market to join the SPAC boom emanating from America. Opponents of reform argue that Britain's current stricter regime protects investors. Under the FCA's consultation, the public will have four weeks to comment on the proposals. America announced restrictions on travel from India because of its unprecedented surge of COVID-19 infections, barring entry to foreign nationals who have been there within the past fortnight. India is counting nearly 400,000 new cases daily. The White House cited variants of the virus as an additional worry. Australia went further, banning re-entry from India even to its own nationals. Kyrgyzstan counted its losses after a ceasefire ended a border skirmish with Tajikistan. At least 31 Kyrgyz were killed after civilians squabbling over a contested water supply facility were joined by armed forces from both sides. The Tajiks have yet to announce their own casualties. The landlocked post-Soviet states remain vexed with disputed boundaries. The president of the Palestinian National Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, postponed parliamentary elections due to take place in May. Elections were last held in 2006, but Mr Abbas said polls could not proceed unless Israel allows Palestinians to vote in East Jerusalem, the hoped-for capital of the Palestinian state, which has been occupied by Israel since 1967. Palestine's presidential election is scheduled for July, but may also be postponed. And fact of the day. Just 4% of those on the island of Taiwan, when polled in 2020, called themselves simply Chinese. And now, here's today's agenda. Techno King becomes TV King. Elon Musk goes primetime. It is among the most bizarre casting decisions in recent memory. Elon Musk, the eccentric founder of Tesla and SpaceX, will host Saturday Night Live, an American satirical show, next week. The electric car and space rocket tycoon is not exactly known for his comedy chops and has cultivated a reputation as a social media troll. The Atlantic argued his hosting, quote, erodes the series' reputation as a cultural gatekeeper and gives a notorious attention seeker just that, attention. 
but the billionaire is undoubtedly a draw. And SNL is no stranger to provocative hosts. Donald Trump, America's controversialist-in-chief, has graced its stage twice. His appearance during the election campaign in 2015 caused protests outside the show's home at 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Now in its 46th year, the show's ratings have been flagging. The announcement of Mr. Musk's hosting set the internet ablaze. Despite the reservations of some cast members, Mr. Musk is a risk which may just pay off. The Good Kind of Zombie Tony Allen's Posthumous Album It was the open hi-hat he learnt from Max Roach that started it all. That's what set Tony Allen apart from other drummers in the Nigerian highlife scene. Sitting serenely behind his kit, Allen cut a very different figure from Fela Kuti, the often half-naked and painted wild man with whom he created Afrobeat. But his ability to play each drum as if a separate instrument defined its sound as much as Fela's voice or saxophone. His posthumous album, There Is No End, was released on Friday, the first anniversary of his death. It has him playing alongside a new generation of artists, including Sampa the Great and Lava LaRue. Alan's rhythms were indelibly beaten into everything from post-punk to modern jazz. He cut records with an eclectic slate of artists, including Ernest Wranglin, the uncontested king of Jamaican guitar, and techno pioneer Jeff Mills. Now he will have one last groove from beyond the grave. Catching the Kraken Filming Giant Squid For centuries, Giant Squid straddled the boundary of myth and reality, evidenced only by sea shanties and scars borne by sperm whales. Video footage of the world's largest invertebrate has proven extraordinarily elusive. But one person has filmed them repeatedly, Dr Edith Widder of the Ocean Research and Conservation Association. Now, she and her colleagues have revealed their squid-snapping secrets in the journal Deep Sea Research Part 1. Realising the noise and white lights of traditional submersibles frightened away sea life, they developed a silent, drifting camera platform with red lights invisible to squint. It also trailed a neon blue lure dubbed the e-jelly, which mimics the bioluminescent jellyfish that attracts squid. In 2013, this apparatus became the first to form a live giant squid in its natural habitat. Further expeditions could uncover more mysteries of the deep, still the least studied environment on Earth. Saturday Profile Adar Punawala, India's Vaccine Prince In the days before COVID-19 upended the world, finding Adar Punawala required a visit to the Mahalakshmi Racecourse in Mumbai, where his family stood atop India's high society. The billionaire, his family is said to be India's sixth richest, could otherwise be spotted in glossy magazines, posing beside his flashy cars or at his office inside a decommissioned Airbus jetliner. Today, Mr. Punawala, who is 40, is everywhere. On television, his interviews are rebroadcast constantly. Everything his company, the Serum Institute of India, does is reported as a rare glimmer of hope in a country racked by the pandemic. Mr. Punawala's doings are national news. His previously small company, founded as a sideline to horse breeding, has become the world's largest vaccine producer. It aims to churn out almost 2 billion doses yearly. Early anxiety within his family that the young heir would fall to indolence have been forgotten. In the process of courting his wife by taking her to exotic locations, he built up a network of customers in 165 countries. The firm already provides at least one vaccine to two-thirds of the world's children. And his obsession with adding capacity enabled a decision in April 2020 
to begin production of the COVID-19 vaccine developed by Oxford University, an institution he knew well after years of collaborating on a potential malaria vaccine, for which prospects have suddenly brightened. Betting against COVID For now, what matters is whether the COVID-19 tsunami can be stopped in India. From May 1st, all Indian adults will become eligible for vaccination, but supplies remain far too low to provide all the doses needed. Could his firm boost output? In the past week, Mr Poonawala has been in London, quietly meeting people whom he calls vaguely global, quote, stakeholders. Many problems must still be overcome. America's restrictions on exporting vital ingredients for vaccines have hurt production. An Indian ban on vaccine exports does not help. Over 1 billion Indians are watching Mr Poonawala's sprint to boost output with bated breath. Never did the Mumbai racetrack draw such an audience or operate at such high stakes. Testing the boundaries. The Indian Premier League. The IPL is the highlight of India's sporting calendar. For seven weeks, the world's best cricketers take up the fast-paced 2020 format, delighting hundreds of millions of fans. In 2020, the organisers moved it to the United Arab Emirates because of the pandemic. This year, it was brought home, but the decision has grown more controversial as India has been hit by a second COVID-19 wave. Players are kept safe in secure COVID bubbles, while people die in the streets. Some indignant members of the cricket-mad local press have suspended coverage. Three Australian players left the country, raising worries that a walkout by overseas players may disrupt plans. In its defence, India's Board of Control for Cricket argues the IPL is an entertaining distraction and, by encouraging people to stay at home, may even help matters. And the cancellation of international flights may yet keep players in India. The IPL seems likely to continue, even as India's national tragedy worsens. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Joseph Addison, who was born on this day in 1672. I shall endeavour to enliven morality with wit, and to temper wit with morality. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.